Hello, and welcome to Will We Make It Out Alive? I'm Amy, the Poop Detective. And I'm Jen, the Magical Mapper. This is episode one for the birds. Today, we'll be talking about avoiding a murder, where to find GIS data, and your new Christmas tradition, counting birds. Mmm. Uh-huh. I'd like to start out by saying I'm pretty much an expert on birds now because I've read like three articles, so you can ask me anything about them. Also, I feel like that means you should probably trust everything that's said during this episode. Yeah, I'll link to my sources in the show notes. Also, if I've gotten any of my facts wrong, please let us know either on our website or email us at outalivepodcast at gmail.com. This episode's all about birds which I used to be deathly afraid of ever since I saw Alfred Hitchcock's movie The Birds as a very young child. I'm Mm. not sure why it was on or who thought it was a good idea to let me watch it, but it was the 70s or early 80s, so who knows. But now that I'm much older, I realize that birds aren't really all that scary. Except maybe... Hmm... Getting right into our murder story. It's not a bloody murder I'm talking about avoiding today, but a murder of crows. Whoa. Yeah. Although they may actually leave you a bit bloody. And also you should avoid bloody murder if you can. But we're talking about birds today. So someone actually developed an online interactive map to track aggressive crows. So cool. Right? It's called CrowTrax, which is T-R-A-X, and it was developed in Vancouver to track aggressive crows since there's such a huge problem up there. Uh, So you must be talking about Vancouver, Canada. I am Vancouver, BC. Whack fact, the app was actually developed by a couple of instructors at Langara College in Vancouver, BC as an example of what types of useful applications can be built based on GIS. <laughs> so they're like really awesome geography GIS teachers. But the app actually really took off. And I should stop calling it an app because it's actually an online interactive map. I don't think you can actually download it to your phone, but I'm not positive on that. Maybe somebody can Google <laughs> that for you. <laughs> Did you know that people think crows attack because people are a-holes? But... Actually, it's really so that they can protect their babies. I mean, but people are a-holes. If I was a crow, I would probably attack them for that reason. I mean, I probably would too. Uh, There are actually a lot of funny ways that people avoid crow attacks. Some people carry umbrellas during crow attack season, and some people wear hats. Uh, People have heard that when the crows are looking down and they see people with hair on their heads, the hair makes them think that you're a predator. So basically, like, bald people are protected from crow attacks is what I'm hearing? Potentially. It's like a a positive upside of losing your hair. I mean, I would probably Google that, but... Maybe I'll see if I can get somebody to Google that for both of us. Mm, That's a good idea. We need an intern. If you would like to be our intern, please contact us at outalivepodcast at gmail.com. Also, you won't be getting paid. But neither are we. (laughs) But you'll have a lot of fun. Right. Whack fact. 
Fledgling baby crows are almost as big as the adults. So, like, what does that look like? I mean, are do they have, like, gigantic crow eggs? And then they just come out all big-sized? Or are they little for a very short period of time? I mean, I know you're a crow expert now, so I know. I'm certain you know the answer to these questions. I mean, I did tell you to ask me anything, but I don't actually know the answer to that question. I don't appreciate not knowing the answer. I think you should just tell me what the answer is. <laughs> Why don't you go Google that? <sighs> is this how you get me to do all of your research for you? Yes. So this uh, GIS interactive map is only available during nesting season to actually add your own attack experiences, but you can view the app all year round. Mm. What if I get attacked outside of nesting season? Too bad. Rude. Yeah. The reason that it's only available during nesting season <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. is because that's when crows are most aggressive. Well, I'm just saying, I mean. I mean, I guess you could be an a-hole year-round and just get attacked. Right? What if you're, what's his bucket in Seattle? Who's Cheney. Dick Cheney. He got attacked by crows in Seattle? The UW students did a um, study where they were looking at intergenerational learning between crow. Right. And what I've heard is that they used Dick Cheney masks to go out and harass the crows <laughs> in a specific park that was kind of known for having aggressive crows. And then they would go back out um, for successive generations and see if the babies in that area also would attack the Dick Cheney mass, and they did for, I think, like two generations, actually. Wow. So then there's like a hilarious side note about how if Dick Cheney ever comes and visits Seattle, he'll probably be attacked by crows. That's hilarious. As you can see, I'm also a bird expert. Did you know, or do you know, if they did their research during nesting season? That, I, that was a new, new fact for me, so oh. I, didn't, I do not know. I see. Our listeners have a lot of Googling to do. Yeah, they do. It's just unfortunate for them. We're trying to help, but really we're just creating more <laughs> questions, apparently. Which is typical of all science, so it's it really pretty appropriate. I mean, we're giving you incredible research opportunities here. Exactly. like Scientists love research. Were you just like sitting around wondering what you might need to Google next? Well, we're here to help you with that. Exactly. On this uh, interactive web map, you can see individual crow attack sightings or turn it into a heat map to see places to avoid. You know, if you're looking at the individual sightings, you can kind of see clusters, but by turning on the heat map, it shows you like the darker red is where there's a greater concentration of crow attacks. So, Bazaar. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, it just reminded me of a uh, cat. <laughs> throwing up that's the technical term for it <laughs> <laughs> you're such a weirdo okay anyway so back to this map it is focused on vancouver but it has also officially been launched in victoria however we know that they're pooping on us as we will discuss in episode number two <laughs> Uh huh. Yes. I thought you meant the crows, but you mean you mean Victoria. Well, probably both, actually. I would say both probably are pooping on us. However, if you zoom out and pan around, people have actually been adding their own crow attack locations in other cities on the map because the base map 
actually covers the entire world, so there's nothing stopping you from adding your own attack anywhere. So, like, did you look and see if there was any in, like, Washington or Oregon? I did. Actually, it's particularly popular in Seattle and Portland, but there are sporadic entries from further afield. There are nowhere near the amount as in Vancouver or Victoria. Where they have a, yeah. an actual, probably, um, outreach kind yes. of thing around it. Yeah. Exactly. Huh. So what I'm hearing is we should all be adding our crow attacks to this map. I mean, why regardless not? Regardless of where we are. Exactly. It's just to grow their data set. I'm sure they'll be happy about that. Exactly. You're welcome, crow tracks, if you're out there <laughs> listening to this. Anyway, information that you can add includes they want you to rank the severity of the attack on a scale of one to five. So like one is it poked your eyeball out and uh, five is it just tussled your hair a little bit. Um, I would say one would be it just kind of flew near you Mm. and you were scared and five would be it clawed your eyes out and uh, you thought you were going to die. Probably a group of them carried you and your baby off. Yes. To be eaten alive. I think that would definitely be a five. Definitely a five. Uh, They also go in that area. uh, No. Also, they want you to put a description of the attack. So, what happened and the date the attack occurred. And I encourage you to go take a look at the map because the reports are hilarious. For example, I want to read one for you right now. And this one, the location was George Wainborn Park in Vancouver. So, aggressiveness. Four. The date was June 13th, 2018. Oh, just this past summer. Yeah. So scary stuff still happening up there. Oh, yeah. Here's what happened. Hit in the head from behind. A few days ago, found a dead crow on my balcony, and I'm sure this one knows I threw its relative in the garbage. I am scared to go in the park as it followed me home. Sure, it is going to be waiting for me with its fur. And then it stops. I'm pretty sure this person didn't make it out alive. Oh my goodness. You uncovered the first crow-related murder from a murder of crows. (laughs) Exactly. Terrifying stuff here. Right. Y'all just got scienced. That's right. So the sightings on the map are color-coded based on year. So they've been doing it for about three years now. And in 2018, they added the ability to report sightings of a special crow named Canuck. Mm, I'm familiar. You are. Well, I did a little bit of research before we started this episode. Canuck is actually an exceptionally friendly crow who lives in Vancouver. People feed him and they even pet him. Well, he actually was a rehabbed crow. Oh. So he was separated from his mom or something i'm remembering this up off the top of my head i might not have all my facts straight here but it was something like he was separated from his mom or found as a fledgling and he was brought up by people for a period of time and then released back into the wild oh is that why he has an orange band on his left leg yes Hmm. that's how people identify him if you're up in Vancouver, you can actually report a sighting if you see him. You'll know it's him by the orange band. Yeah, on you his can go leg. online. He's got his own Facebook page and following and, and videos. And now, yeah, now you can go to this map and actually see where there's been sightings of him. But mm-hmm. it's a very noticeable orange band that he's marked with. So, yeah. So we'll link to the map and some videos of Kanek on our website. He also um, had some babies, apparently. Last I heard year, that. I think. 
He's a daddy now. Yeah, kind of fun too. Right? Will Canuck the Crow make it out alive? Dun, dun, dun. I'm going to say probably not specifically Canuck because we're all mortal. Speak for yourself, Jen. (laughs) I want to switch to another topic that's near and dear to my heart. GIS. So when you're first starting a project, one of the most important things to have is data. I love data. Me too. You may have to create your own data, which I've been doing for most of my career. But if the data already exists, why reinvent the wheel? I prefer it if Jen creates the data for me and then I just get to use it, which is exactly what I'm doing in our real life right now because she is developing all of our stormwater data for me. Thank you, Jen. You're welcome. However, there are many sources of GIS data these days. There are actually a lot of places to look and they, they might have your, your data. hats. Are you about to get loaded? Yeah. With data resources. This is going <laughs> to get real exciting now. Yeah. Woohoo. So ArcGIS Online. So this is an online platform by Esri, which is the industry leader in GIS software. And that's what I've been using my whole career. With a free ArcGIS Online account, you have access to a lot of data. And with an organizational subscription, uh, you can access even more. What's an organizational subscription? You should Google that. You should Google that. This is your Ballywick. It's your place that you work for might have a subscription. Oh, you mean like what I have through my work at my work work? Exactly. So you should check with your work to see if they have a subscription. Or, I mean, I guess you could buy one yourself. They're about $2,500 and you get five users. But there's a ton of data out there that you can access through that. Um, I'm sorry you're bored. I thought you liked data. I do. I was just thirsty. Okay. So you can actually find everything from like things that you might normally find on a street map, such as streets, building outlines, parks county boundaries and state lines, data on natural hazards such as fault lines and landslide hazard areas, elevation data, aerial photography, and just about anything you can think of. You can even find live data such as real-time traffic and weather data. For example, I searched for birds because we're talking about birds on this episode, and some of the results included Birding trails in several states, citizen science data points on birds, critical marbled murelet habitat uploaded and maintained by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Maintained? Maintained. Whatever. Some of the more interesting things that you can find that a lot of people might not think are even available include oil and gas spill information. Results of analysis on climate change, including vulnerable areas and sea level rise models. I didn't even think that was a thing. Fire perimeters for recent and historic fires. I don't know if we want to share that one, actually. That's true. And really wacky things, such as the areas in the U.S. most and least likely to purchase beer for the Super Bowl. I've always wanted to know that. Right? Did you look at that information? I did. What was the most or the least? Well, I didn't memorize the information. I did look at it, though. I thought you were an expert in this. It was pretty fascinating. Maybe we can get somebody to Google the answer for you again. Mm, That's a good idea. We'll link to ArcGIS online in the blog, and you can sign up for a free account and play around. 
Okay, getting back to birds. I promised you I'd tell you more about the Audubon Society's Christmas bird count. Like how many birds are on your Christmas tree? Something like that. Mm. The Audubon Christmas bird count is the longest running avian citizen science survey in the world at over 100 years old. That's like as old as you are, almost. Almost. Also rude. (laughs) So there used to be a tradition of hunters doing the side hunt on Christmas, and a side hunt is where the hunters would choose sides, and they'd go out and kill as many birds and whatever they were actually hunting as possible, and the side who brought back the most dead, feathered, and furry carcasses was crowned the winner. That sounds super fun. Right? Not really. I don't like it. I mean, I might eat a cute, furry, tasty animal, but yeah, that seems unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. Well, way back when, an ornithologist- You were a wee lass. (laughs) 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 You were a wee lass. (laughs) Um- Uh Uh-huh. So I wasn't even a sparkle in my great-grandparents' eye at that point, but whatever. Allegedly. (laughs) An ornithologist, which is a bird expert like me now. A.K.A. Jen and myself. Yes. So he was an officer in the early days of the Audubon Society. An officer? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, pew, pew. Well, probably like an officer, like a president or secretary or something, you know roles. I don't know. You call them officers. So he proposed a new tradition of a tradition tradition of counting birds instead of hunting them mm. on Christmas Day. So the first bird count was performed across the US on Christmas Day 1900. What? You were only like 5 then or something. Um something. So it was only done on Christmas Day back then, but now it runs from December 14th through January 5th. So it's only held one day in each location, but different locations hold the census on different days. Mm -hmm. So you can like get your bird count on on a different day if there's certain days that don't work for you. Exactly. You could do multiple days. What? Right? So much bird count, so so little time. (laughs) Must add to the data set. Also, there are bird counts held all across the Western Hemisphere. What? So it's expanded out. So visit the website. We'll link to their website on our website and view their map to see if there's a count happening near you. Now, you can't actually sign up online, Amy. What? I know. It's weird. I don't know how to sign up then. Yeah, so... Look at the map, and there is contact information on the map for each site. Uh, Some of the sites aren't accepting new volunteers, but most are, and it'll let you know that on the map. So you can participate either by going out all day with the group and counting all the little birdies you see or hear, or you can sit at home and watch your bird feeder all day. Whoa, I have a bird feeder. Yeah. There's no bird seed in it right now, though. Rude. Because when I put bird seed in it, then the annoying birds come, like the crows. (laughs) Just kidding. 
you crows are cool. Hey, you know what else? <laughs> what? Uh, Canuck um, has his own movie out, his own short short film out. He just does? Came out, yeah. So you guys should check that out, too. We'll see if we can't uh, link to that also on our website. I don't know if we can for sure, but we'll cool. see if we can. I want to watch it. I do, too. I'm going to let's stop Canuck, recording right now and just go watch story. it. All right. We'll be right back, people. Okay. That was us leaving. Now we're back. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So not all of the sites or not all of the areas have the capacity to have you watch your bird feeder from your home. So check with your local organizer to make sure that that's available in your area. You also don't need to be a bird expert to participate, even though we're both bird experts. I'm an ornithologist, I think they call Um, us. Yes. Because they'll match you up with others who have experience. You do have to sign up ahead of time in most cases, though. Don't ask us to actually identify birds, though. We're not that kind of ornithologist. No. We just know about all of the birds. Or a couple of them. Uh, maybe and one of them. Sometimes how their maps are used with yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. So um, what do they do with all this data, you ask? Probably something amazing. <laughs> well... The census results help guide conservation efforts over the coming year, and they've also allowed scientists to make predictions on how climate change will affect habitat for over 500 bird species and which species are likely to be in danger of not making it out alive. I can't believe you would spread misinformation like that. I'm sorry, but climate change is real. But we just had, like, super cold. Mm-hmm. Moving on. The data is also freely available, and over 200 peer-reviewed studies have been completed to date with the CBC data. So I think what Jen just said is that you count birds, and then real live action hero scientists use your bird numbers to study real live things that are super cool. And really, if she was really cool, she'd have like some cool bird facts about what they have studied. Do you have any of those cool bird facts, Jen? No, I'm not that cool. Just as I suspected. Or our listeners can go Google that, though. Is this some kind of Google ad? Uh, We'll link to their website on our blog. And while you're there visiting their website, you can see gorgeous photos of birds taken by census volunteers. Mm, I love photos. I know you do. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for this episode. Today, we talked about murderous crows, a cute crow named Canuck, where to find all kinds of fun and useful GIS data, and counting birds instead of killing them at Christmas. Please tune in next time for episode two where the poop detective is super excited to talk about number two. Hmm. I hope you learned something new today. And will we make it out alive? If you liked this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please rate us and leave a review. Thanks and have a great whatever. Yeah. Amy out. Bye. Bye bye bye. Jen. Bye 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 bye.